Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. We're nearing the 100th episode and I'm delighted today to be joined by Leisha Hawkins. Leisha is the Chief Exec of Cricket Wales. She's also a non-exec director for Glamorgan Cricket. She is also a very proud member and player for MCC Women's. And there's lots of other things we're going to find out about Leisha as we get chatting to her. But good morning and welcome, Leisha. Good morning, Borodaishi. Thank you very much. So let's get into those fir- that first question that I ask all of our guests. And you can answer in English or any language <laughs> you like, <laughs> which is just to give us an insight, really, and to dis- to explain, describe or tell that first memory, that first recollection you have of cricket. Yeah, uh, it will all be in English from now on, I can assure you. I did try to learn a little bit of Welsh with this job, but uh, no, it's, it's definitely not fluent. Um, so my first recollection of cricket, and there would have undoubtedly been elements of cricket in my life before this, because my dad tells it talks a great game about his cricket career, and I'm using career in its loosest possible sense here. So there would have been cricket equipment around my house. Not that I've ever seen documentary evidence of it being used by my father. Um, but my first, my strong recollection of cricket, I was, I think it would have been 10. Um, grew up in a very sporty family, two girls, so no brothers, uh, one younger sister who ended up actually working for Sky Sports cricket team um, oh. in the production team. So, yeah, not not a coincidence, I think, that we both ended up doing something sporty with our lives. We were both brought up to say very sporty by mum and dad. Um, and I remember being 10 years old, 10-year-old girl, obviously, um, in Ripon in North Yorkshire, where I'd moved. And this was in the days when cricket was on the BBC. Yep. So, you know, in tune, we had Richie Benno. And I was just absolutely captured and mesmerised by men's test cricket, age 10. And when the theme tune came on, I would get an orange out of the fruit bowl and I would pretend to bowl. Um, obviously, didn't actually let go of the orange. I wonder uh, what you were going to say there, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, just decided. And I say I decided that I wanted to play cricket. I didn't actually sort of have any visibility that girls play cricket or women play cricket because obviously everything that was visible then would have been say men's test cricket only um so probably actually never considered that I could get into a team and I only actually got into a team when I was 17 and that was just sort of quite serendipitous really that a club near me happened to get some funding and so they kind of asked the school hockey team did we want to come and play cricket but yes absolutely mesmerized by cricket I'll tell you would watch it for days and I would watch it alone. <laughs> Makes me sound like a bit of a sad loner, really. Um, I would just sit there watching cricket. But yeah, in the summer holidays, um, just absolutely loved it. And then... What was it, though? What was it, though, that drew you in, do you think? I think, I think you know, sport as as a principle was normal for me. Mm. You know, endless, endless days of... Um, you know, playing catch or evenings playing catch with my dad in the back garden, you know, went to sort of school sports camps, you know, in the holidays, played short tennis, you know, literally would try anything at the leisure centre. So, like, the, the principle of sport being around and watching sport was quite normal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cricket, I don't know, there was just something about it. It was just different. And I don't maybe it was the impeccable white clothing, um, certainly when I was 16, 
you know, Darren Goff was the reason why I watched a lot of cricket, to be honest, had a terrible crush on Darren Goff. Um, <laughs> but that certainly kept me interested in the teenage years. Um, I'm seeing him this <laughs> evening. I'll mention you to him. <laughs> okay, brilliant, thanks. Um, uh, yeah, it's um, just different. Um, and it, it's, it would go on for days, but there was always sort of something going on. Um, I, just, I just absolutely adored it. And so I think I wanted to play, but never sort of got beyond, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Because like I said, there was just no, I didn't ever see women playing cricket on the TV or in real life, so... Yeah, and I think that's uh, representative of, of many people who had this, um, you know, started that interest around a similar era, uh, where yeah. there was no uh, coverage of um, women's cricket at all on the television um, or on the radio or on any media, yeah. um, but but still remained interested enough to continue to be involved in the game in in whatever capacity. So. So, so tell us a little bit how that interest developed, not just around you know fancying Darren Goff, but um, <laughs> but more about how your interest uh, developed in getting involved. You said at seventeen you started to play. Um, so yeah. where, where where was that club? Uh, that was Ripon Cricket Club uh, in the Nidderdale League. Uh, so yeah, I went to Ripon Grammar School. I mean, Ripon, you could walk around it in three hours. It's this tiny little town. What's a city technically? Um, and as I say, just completely serendipitously, they. Had received some funding from, I guess, would have been the Yorkshire Cricket Board um, uh, to start a, well, it was a ladies' section then, not a, not a women's section, I guess, ladies' section. Um, and I think the one of the captains there, or, or certainly a really good player there, was the head boy at the time. Um, as I say, they came and talked to the first 11 hockey team um, and just said, look, girls, do you want to come and try cricket we were like sure there'll be beer and boys there won't there so uh, it was a very scientific choice um and look we were all sort of under 18 sort of 17 18 um and there was one i think there was one person who was over 18 who had some idea of what they were doing in cricket we all had hand-eye coordination and you know a level of competitiveness and what have you um but it's fair to say that you could set a field of entirely um leg side fielders uh, for all of our shots, <laughs> no high elbows whatsoever. Everything was kind of cross the line. Um, and we we lost every game in the first season um, because obviously back then, and, and probably still to this day, there was a massive disparity. You know, we would rock up, all of us pretty much novice, say some idea of how to hit a ball, but entirely novice, facing spin, didn't have. Um, and we would face in pretty much every team uh, in that league, there would have been somebody who was playing for England, had just finished playing for England, <laughs> a couple of players who were playing for year, and then us. Um, so, look, it was, a, it was a project in itself sometimes to even get to away games, because, as I say, we were 17, so half of us didn't even drive, half of us didn't own a car. Um, so my mum ended up playing on a couple of games just to kind of drive one of the cars. Um, my mum has the distinction of having batted right-hand and left-handed in the same over without even knowing that she'd done it. Uh, so she came in, as I say, at number, it was probably number nine. I think we probably only had nine players. Um, and yeah, look, we got mashed, but, you know, loved it. And went back the next year. I think we maybe did win one game the next year. And then I went on to play at university. I went to Durham University, uh, went on to play there. Um, and was, that then, called, was it called the women's team at Durham or still was it ladies? No, it was W. So it's D-U-W-C-C. Yeah. And now, of course, it's just the Durham University Cricket Club. Yeah. And it's gender specific, which is great. But yes, we were D-U-W-C-C. And that was good. You know, they had um, 
a centre of excellence mm-hmm. for the men. So, you know, I have people like James Foster, Will Jefferson, Andrew Strauss, I think, left the year before I arrived. But it was kind of that era, uh, Chilton at Lancashire now, or the things, is it DOC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there then. Um, so, was yeah, Foxy, look, it was, was an Foxy amazing Fowler, Was Foxy Fowler the yes. coach? Yeah. Yes, he was. He was. Um, but, yeah, again, a massive disparity. You know, these guys were, you know, on the verge of playing professional cricket and we were still a couple of years out of just playing hockey. But, you know, being in that environment it was amazing. Obviously, Durham, great, you know, sort of sport for university. And, um, yeah, then tried to continue playing once I had to get a proper job. That became more difficult. Um because again, just so few clubs in the whole of the country. Again, I still don't think there's enough in England and Wales that offer, you know, cricket for women and or girls. But, you know, I was playing, I was playing for Shepparton in London, or just outside London, and my away games were anywhere between sort of Swindon to the west and Loughton in Essex to the east. And so you can imagine, you know, a 20-summit year old, I was in recruitment, so like lots of hours of work. Saturday was pretty much written off with a hangover. Sunday, you'd get up and try and play cricket. You'd drive three hours, get your bowling smashed around and to get not very many runs. And I was just like, there must be more to life than this. Um, So kind of stopped playing for a while, uh, but then obviously got jobs in cricket. So obviously stayed connected. But yeah, they they were the first kind of few years. But in those first few years, you had plenty of opportunities to have packed it in much sooner um, in terms of how you just described that that introduction. So um, what what do you think kind of spurred you on to to carry on being involved and playing? Oh, look, I guess I loved it. You know, ultimately, when I got out playing, even if I was getting my bowling smashed around, I was still playing cricket. And I think, you know, our game probably, back then at least, sort of, normalized that you know women would just have a pretty average experience you know we'd Mm. play on wickets that have been used several times we'd be lucky if the bar got opened Mm. it's not being critical of any of the particular clubs that I played for but you know you saw it everywhere you know I think women were just kind of forced to be grateful for just having an opportunity and isn't that nice the girls are having a go um and I think I probably fell into that trap a little bit of just being grateful um but also, you know, wanted to try and drive this thing forwards and I wanted more people to, to love the game like I did. So, um, yeah, look, tried to stick with it as, as best as I could. And like I say, like school years and university years, they are they're just the best years anyway, aren't they, when you don't have a care in the world and you've got lots of spare time. So um, I guess it was quite easy to be grateful, but I guess when you're also trying to be a high-performing human um, and having that kind of experience off the pitch, you kind of start making some decisions then about, you know, where you want to spend your time. Yeah, well, I think, again, that's uh, representative of pretty much every guest that I've had on, which is a very modest way of saying uh, about the, the sort of the the qualities of character uh, that you clearly must have had at, at a young age, because um, as, as, as we know, and from listening from your story, it's no different. There was, there weren't that many opportunities. If you were losing on a regular basis, that's not fun for uh, for people, generally speaking. The travel is a pain in the neck um, and you weren't getting much coverage or exposure. And then when you started to work, you know, all of those things um, muddled together, you know, probably did contribute to why you then had a bit of a break. So, so, and so look, I, I, sorry, I was just going to say, I wasn't even that good. You know, if I had been good and, you know, we've just seen so many players, haven't we, over the last sort of 10, 15 years that had to make a choice. 
Um, and we will have lost so many players in the women's game in particular and probably across all of women's sport, actually. You know, it probably applies equally in football and rugby. Of, okay, I'm really good at this, but, you know, is it kind of paying the bills and, and is it is it worth it? And, you know, I'm sure that anyone who is that good, even the ones that are rubbish like me, would kill to play for their country or their county or what have you. But at some point, kind of, you know, reality kicks in. And I guess if you don't have the... A desire or B skill or C kind of you know the bank of mum and dad who can you know bankroll you to, to try and do both um it yeah look it does become a, a realistic choice unfortunately yeah and just I mean it's not something that you've touched on but it would be, I'd be interested in um in sort of finding out more about friendships that you developed at that early age and, and whether that kind of was a, a contributor to you continuing to enjoy it um despite you know, not not necessarily winning that much or being that great um, in, in terms of technical competence. So, was were friendships forged there that kind yeah. of still you're still connected with now? Is that something that you'd say was a part of how you still enjoyed it when you were in those early years? Yeah, look, I hadn't actually thought of it, but just listening to you speak, I'm just nodding along. I know this is a, a an audio cast rather than a, a visual one, but yeah, just sort of nodding along enthusiastically. Look, my my absolute best friend, uh, still and in the world, was my club captain at Durham University when I was the year I was first eleven captain. She was the first person that I met on my first training session at uh, Maiden Castle in Durham. Uh, that first Saturday when you kind of the newbie of everything and you're sort of shuffling around awkwardly looking for somebody who might look like you and who might be going to the same thing as you and who looks like they might be able to hold a conversation. Uh, so she was kind of the first person I kind of attached myself to on that first morning and I uh, was a bridesmaid and, you know, so I say still my absolute best friend in the world. And look, I just think team sport is the best. Um, you know, you say you win together, you lose together. Sadly, my team's probably lost more than they won, but you do. And I think you learn so much about yourself playing sport. And I think sport, you know, the longer we're all around, I think we all probably recognize a little bit that at some point it's probably rescued us. Mm. You know, whether it was, you know, just the kind of exercise and the endorphins, whether it's, as you say, forging those, you know, long standing friendships and when bad things happen to people in life, you know, loss, grief, whatever it might be, there's always been that network. And, you know, it's just in a split second, I call it the cricket family. You know, mm. they rally around and I, I, and I don't know why it is through sport, but there is just something about it. You know, I was at the women's, uh, the Wales women's uh, football playoff last night and just seeing those girls at the end, you know, having won, I was just like, I was so jealous, you know, of, a, performing in front of a crowd, doing what you absolutely love, but being with your mates. And yeah. I just think what an amazing thing for sort of these, you know, late teens, early 20-year-old women now and the opportunities that they are being given. I still don't think enough uh, across all sports. Um, but, yeah, just, I say, team sport, just the best. Sport is great, but team sport, there's nothing else like it. Look at the Ryder Cup. Oh. You know, they look because it's a team environment it's an individual sport but you know you just see them come out of their shells and there is something very special about being in any team but particularly a, a sports team I think yeah very well said and I, I think there's lots in there about you know a sense of belonging a sense of purpose um, an identity uh, that you believe in 
um, as well as that social side and that kind of, um, as you alluded to, those in tough times, both on and off the pitch, uh, people you can turn to and know that they're going to, you know, be there for you. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, and cr cricket is, whilst um, you could, I'm sure you would agree, and it, you know, it's an individual game within a team setting in many ways, but yeah. it's got the benefits of it being a team setting for all those tough times. Um, yeah. And, you know, one, one of the most frightening things, I think, particularly for young players, both boys and girls, is walking out to the wicket to face your first ball when you're, you know, first going out to bat. And, you know, all that fear of uh, failure, you know, going through your head and what's going to happen when I'm out type of thing. And then as as a couple of parents describe it, that walk of shame going back once you've been dismissed. And, and I think that's one of the things that de deters uh, many a, a young person, boy and girl, uh, from from actually continuing with it, because, you know, especially as a batter, you know, you are you know, your number is going to be up. Um, and you don't get another go. And, you know, I, I've not yet been convinced by anybody else in the world of sport that, um, you know, it's that, that, it, that it has that uniqueness um, about it, you know, that uh, it isn't the same in football or rugby um, or hockey uh, or any other team sport, because you get an opportunity again in most of those sports. Yeah, yeah I guess the only and it's not the same, but it's like a penalty shootout. That's the only time yeah. when, like, a footballer will, or a hockey player yeah. will feel, as you say, that moment of trepidation of when the bales get broken, it's like, oh, God, I'm next. Here we go. Um, yeah. And look, again, this is because I'm probably not very good at batting. Some people probably relish that moment. I imagine Ben Stokes probably goes, brilliant, let's go. Uh, Going to go and bosh the, bosh the ball around a bit. Um, but never thought about that. Actually, at least openers get to walk out with somebody else. Yeah, so I always thought that opening was just the work. Certainly when I started playing anyway, of course, the, the role of an opening batter now, particularly in like 100 and white ball cricket, I, sh I, was a, I should have been an opening batter in today's cricket because my style is I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Um, <laughs> they end quickly, but it may actually be quite entertaining in the middle. And you're sort of given a free reign now, aren't you, as an opening batter in white ball cricket? So I'll just go and have a go. And if you get out, don't worry. Whereas when I was an well, when I was playing, when I started playing, opening was the most responsible job in the world. And you were just basically not allowed to ever do anything stupid or even vaguely entertaining. Um, <laughs> so I just think, I, yeah, I just played it in the wrong era, clearly. Yeah, well, you and me both, we're going to have to speak separately because there's already a lot of things that have resonated with me in what you said. <laughs> Um, but in terms of uh, having that break um, from uh, from cricket, uh, when you were just starting to work and doing all that travel to get just to get a game, um, so what brought you back into the game in in what capacity? Uh, so for work, I was extremely fortunate to uh, get a job at the ECB. So I had worked in recruitment for probably seven or eight years. You know, so I guess sort of natural salesperson, quite naturally chatty, love people. Doesn't come across that way at all, Alicia. <laughs> um, I got, and I fell into recruitment. I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do when I left university. I'd sort of got a degree and went, well, that's great. Um, what do what you do now? now? I, sort of, I flirted with the idea of teaching, um, but I realised that I liked the teaching bit as in the, you know, say being on stage, but, you know, trying to yeah, hold yeah, an yeah, audience. Yeah. And yeah. I love the idea of, 
you know, having a, a group of young people come into my classroom who didn't know something when they walked in, but they would have retained it when they went out. So I did, yeah. um, I did languages at university. So I did a year of teaching on my year abroad. And I, I loved that. But I realised that sadly, and look, I have the greatest respect for educators because actually I realised that teaching in many schools is really sort of substitute parenting mm. and, you know, all the sort of social um, elements and that, that that was not my that was not my skill I don't I didn't feel like that was my calling and I just felt like you know you really had to really want to do that bit as well as the teaching bit so um, yeah from teaching into recruitment um, and worked in sports recruitment but I'd never really seen any job specs in my time there that even I thought I could do let alone that I really wanted to do and then just by complete chance uh, the business development role at the ECB came up and it was specifically selling sponsorship of women's cricket, which at the time, this is like 2012, um, it was, you know, it was nowhere women's cricket, it wasn't visible and all of the sponsorship deals that the men got, the women would just have that brand splatted on their shirt, but it would have been given away for free because, you know, there was no money in women's cricket, was there? Nobody was interested. Um, so it was selling sponsorship for women's and grassroots cricket and I just thought, well, let's just give it a go. I, was, I wasn't unhappy. Loved my job and recruitment. Great money, great lifestyle. Um, but I just thought, look, I've got to, got, got to have a go at this because it's cricket and it's ECB and it's women's cricket. And so I guess I just kind of told people, I told the interviewers sort of just how I felt. I wasn't like trying to play the game of interviewing. I just walked in and was entirely me. Um, and they went, well, yeah, it's probably what we need, isn't it? Um, so I did that for a couple of years and they let me loose on... Uh, the men's stuff as well. So I did uh, the Kia deal for women's cricket when they oh, took Kia Super League. Yeah, uh, did the New Balance deal for all of um, cricket, all of the uh, the kit there. They were probably the sort of two really uh, big deals, or certainly the ones that I found most kind of interesting and most um, uh, most rewarding. Um, and then I moved into the participation division at the ECB for another sort of two and a half, uh, three and a half years. Um, so supporting uh, the county boards around London, so uh, Middlesex, Surrey, Kent and Essex, so working for the ECB, but supporting those organisations to, you know, be the best that they could be and supporting kind of the uh, development of the recreational game in and around London. Um, and then came to Wales in 2020. I've just um, celebrated 10 years this week of being being gainfully employed in cricket, which is just... Yeah, many congratulations. Thank you. It's just been and it's just been the most privileged and fun and unbelievable time of my life. You know, I think I sent a I was wondering if it was a LinkedIn post or a tweet, but it's just like if you told ten year old me watching, you know, Test Match Cricket and Richie Benno that thirty years later, you know, I've I'd have worked in cricket, that even I'd have got into it, let alone been able to do what I've been able to do and have the experiences that I've had and meet the people that I have um it's just been the biggest biggest privilege of my life so that's how I got back in in a professional sense um I was to say asked uh, to apply to be a playing member of the MCC I got a sort of very kind tap on the shoulder clearly they hadn't seen me back when they were tapping me on the shoulder for that um but yeah started playing again for uh, the MCC through my club in Twickenham uh so I used to live in Twickenham and that I could I could walk to my cricket club, which I'm pretty sure there's still not too many women that can say they live that close to their own cricket club. But um, yeah, started playing there again and now just play, uh, have the privilege of turning out for the MCC on occasion and I do lots of the school games and, you know, sort of spread the spirit of cricket. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been very good to me, the game. 
And I mean, you know, it, you, you alluded to the fact that this is an audio recording uh, as opposed to vi video, but it is, it is a pleasure for me to be able to see the enjoyment that telling that story is brought to you visually. Uh, your whole face lights up thinking about thinking about it and recollecting those moments. Um, and that's just, you know, in listening to you for a, a very, very short period of time. Um, so in terms of your role currently uh, at uh, Cricket Wales, so where where would you say the... The main areas of a uh, difference that you're looking to contribute are uh, in that capacity as chief exec. Yeah, so look, I I will state for the record, look, I inherited a brilliant team, a really strong organisation, a really well organised organisation, and people that are absolutely you know committed to the cause. And I'm sure that's the same in any you know sporting organisation, particularly when you work in sort of grassroots development. Um, you know, we're I receive a perfectly acceptable salary, but, you know, we're not paid big bucks like you see, you know, in the professional game. And so there is, you know, a lot of love and, you know, everyone goes above and beyond. Um, so, look, I they inherited a great organisation. I inherited a strategy which had been uh, written sort of just before I arrived, actually, and that was just, you know, sort of just timing, really. Um, and my first job was to uh, present the strategy that somebody else had written uh, to the ECB. So Tom Harrison, obviously former uh, chief executive of the ECB, came down with a couple of the uh, the big wigs from uh, NW8. And so that was kind of my first, my first job. My second job was to write a press release um, in March 2020 to say, could everyone please stop playing cricket because of the pandemic? Um, so it sort of was, wasn't quite the job that I, I was sold in the November of 2019. Um, but look, the, the, maybe some of the numbers have changed in terms of the ambition or the time frame that we're going to have to reach those numbers. But look, at its heart, our strategy is still a strategy of growth. It is a strategy of inclusion. Um, you know, even despite the pandemic, we grew the number of clubs and teams that play cricket in Wales. Um, we, as a team sport, certainly played more than any other team sport. And obviously, don't forget, this is Wales. And so rugby is kind of a religion around these parts. And football is now massive because of the men getting to the World Cup and women now doing sort of similar things. Um, so look, we're, we're a third sport and actually by some distance, you know, in terms of kind of profile and, um, you know, numbers of people playing. We also suffer a little bit, you know, be really honest with the fact that if talented kids come through Welsh clubs... Who do they end up playing for? They end up playing for England. Um, and that's absolutely abhorrent to some of the most kind of traditional families, as you can probably imagine. It's like, in absolutely no way is my son or daughter pulling on an England shirt. So there's a lot of barriers. But as I say, in spite of all of those challenges and a lot of them obviously not of our making, um, you know, the big things for us, so uh, kids cricket, you know, all stars, dynamos, continuing the growth of that. Girls and women's cricket, um, absolutely massive. And look, again, we have... This is not because I'm me and I'm a girl. This was on a massive, uh, massively sharp trajectory before I got here. But now more than half of the clubs in Wales now offer something for female participants. And if you put that in the context of summer counties in England, where it's like one in 10, it's still not enough. And it is still going. And it's almost now sort of a fear of missing out. And you know how club sport sometimes works, where you sort of look over the fence and go, ooh, oh, they're doing that, maybe we should, because otherwise we might get a bit left behind. So we almost don't need to sell it anymore. It's sold itself. The concept has been proven. You know, just it's amazing just to see the number. What do you of, think? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. What What do you think the, 
the, the, the sort of the most instrumental factor or factors around that. That is a, such an impressive statistic uh, to say that, you know, in, in many areas of Wales, it's one in two clubs have got, um, you know, women and girls cricket uh, taking part. So in addition to that brilliant team and that robust strategy that you inherited, uh, that you're again very modest to to describe it as. Um, what what do you think the key uh, contributors are to to those growth numbers? I think it's culture, you know, and and both the culture that Cricket Wales has set. And again, I'm going to give kudos to the team that every club in Wales knows where to turn. You know, if they want support, if they want to start a girls section, they know. There is somebody in their area of Wales. We split, you know, Wales into three areas. They know exactly who to talk to and they know that they will be to. So there's a trust there. There is a culture now in Wales that it's just kind of normal. You know, that well, why wouldn't we have women's and girls cricket? I think there's still a few people that fold their arms or want to make excuses or just don't get it or, you know, think it's a bit woke that women now want to come and play cricket, which is a man's... You know, it, and you just don't see that. I've... I'd say I've never, never experienced it. I've experienced it once. We had a very robust conversation, me and that gentleman, about why women's and girls cricket was a thing and why we should be supporting it. Um, I just think, look, cricket clubs, uh, sports clubs, I think as a whole, but particularly cricket clubs, I think just get it. And they get that they are sort of, they need to be representative of the communities that they serve. You know, they are the centre of a community in many ways. You know, the sports clubs. And just you can picture it can't you in kind of yeah. some of the valleys um you know it's it's a very different um culture of cricket than maybe you know sort of the posh suburbs of london mm. uh, where it is quite you know sort of middle class middle-aged white men and it's a sport mm. run by those kinds of people for those kinds of people um so i just think people just look at life through a bit of a different lens um but once people start doing it look it's hard you know because you don't immediately have oh yes 30 girls that just suddenly realize that they want to play cricket it is difficult you do need people who are committed and who will drive it um but i think once they get over that initial hump it's just like oh my god why don't we do this sooner it's brilliant you know that it's just great having women and all girls around women get things done mm. um you know we have now i think it's it's 14 percent we're just doing the club audit at the moment so i can come back to you and give you the official number when we get the this, this year's results in but i think it's now 14 percent of committee uh positions in wales in, in the clubs are held by women 40 percent of our board are female it's like i say it's sort of it's just normal you just can't deny it anymore uh, even if they wanted to but so i think i think it is culture and i think that's look that's the whole inclusion debate isn't it in cricket at the moment you know it's obviously not just ethnicity it's gender it's disability and i just think it will just take a bit of a mindset change and i just think that mindset change has has happened quick, quicker in wales than many other places and it, and it you know i'm going to put you on the spot here but in terms of um female chief execs within cricket um mm. ha- how many were there that preceded you and how many are there um around you know within the club environment or county environment that uh, would be seen to be, you know, uh, who who are female and, you know, doing a similar yeah. job to you. So obviously Claire Connor, current yeah. interim uh, ECB chief executive, and obviously now has just given up the, or had her term complete mm. as MCC president. So I think that's kind of your queen. There is Lisa Pursehouse, who has been the chief executive at not County Cricket Club for good while now I think sort of eight nine years I think um I 
there may be one other female lead well, there's officer. Laura there's Laura Cordingly, who's the chief. Of course, exec- Charles. Sure. And I was in her company yesterday. That's terrible. Sorry. I've just, I went to clubs and like ECB. No, but I, didn't Sorry, say, yeah. I didn't say yeah, chance to shine. So I just thought of her because she, she, she was one of our earlier guests on the podcast. But, but, but my, yeah. my point is there aren't that, there aren't that many, that, that representation of 14% as uh, female members of club committees um, and 40% who are board members. Um, it's, it's not representative, is it still um, at that level within cricket? Yeah, no, I think I think I did the maths, and I think the, if you take in chairs as well of the first class counties and all the county boards, mm. so if you do chair and chief exec of all of the constituent parts, like the voting members of the ECB, but we got in chance shine as well, it will still be about three percent mm. of all of those jobs are held by women, three, mm. which is woeful, isn't it? And, and I have a female chair, so actually Wales has yeah. two of the five or six positions that are held by women. It's I mean it's woeful, yeah. um, and it needs to change, and it and look it will. But again, it's that whole thing of unconscious bias and, you know, that's the kind of person that probably should do those jobs. And that's why I guess it's it's wonderful for me, actually, when I get introduced, especially to sort of groups of young girls, you could just see their eyes light up when they say, oh, this is the, this is the big boss lady of mm-hmm. like Cricket Wales. And you can see them go, oh, my God, that's cool. But then you can see others in the group going, hang on, you're a woman. Like, yeah. so how does that So even at that age, it's almost been normalize for them mm. but men do those jobs and mm. men drive cars and make decisions um mm. so it's just yeah it's brilliant and i love it when like had a, a a net opening you know went and cut a ribbon and had the same sort of thing happen it was a it was a all stars and dynamo sessions with boys and girls but a couple of the mums brought their daughters up and they said oh they just wanted to say hello to the box and i'm just like how amazing is that it's, yeah absolutely you know. so so I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna have to ask you about the welsh fire uh, so, um, you know, in terms of the 100, uh, what happened there, Alicia? And, uh, you know, uh, what what do you think will happen next year? OK, so look, I'm going to probably just make, not make my excuses, but make it clear. Look, I'm a director of Glamorgan Cricket, but I don't sit on the Welsh Fire Board. So, look, I sit here as a fan and somebody who obviously wants and needs that team to do well and benefits from you know, player appearances going into schools and so forth. And I will say very quickly, David Payne came and did um, a Dynamo session with the Girl Guides. We had ITV here. What an absolute beautiful, lovely man he is. So, look, as individual people, many of them are brilliant. Annie Beaumont, one of my favourite people in the world, brilliant captain, brilliant leader. Um, Clearly having your best player and captain of the men's team with 24 yeah. hours before the start of the tournament that probably messed up a few plans um you know once you when you build a team around somebody who doesn't I don't know, and completely understand the reasons why and completely respect the reasons why um but that was the reality and, and add to that that he was an england contracted player so you couldn't even have a reserve for him mm-hmm. which probably the rules need to be looked at for that one because mm-hmm. i think we had the same with ollie pope last year when he was injured so that didn't help um not scoring very many runs. Going back to my point about opening batters being allowed to just go for it and get none, fine. But if it happens every week, that's going to be a problem. I'm no analyst, but I know that if you're 15 for three most most times in the power play, probably not going to win too many games. Um, and I just, oh, no, it's a short tournament, isn't it? And I think if you don't get a half decent start, it's probably then quite difficult. I say it's difficult to motivate yourself. If I was playing and being paid that amount of money, I'd probably still be motivated to try and get some runs. 
I'm quite good friends with Gary Kirsten um, and uh, and so I was trying to get an opinion from him but um, it was very difficult because he's you know six weeks prior to that 100 tournament he just um, you know been part of the well he was head coach of the team that won the IPL so yeah look, there's a lot of chat about there was a lot of players picked on stats and it was all a bit money ball and we didn't really mm. sort of think about the actual people that you were picking and I think yeah respectfully there's probably a few players that could get some quite good stats in the blast if you play for a certain team and you're playing certain other teams you know there's probably some conditions where you might get some quite good stats and that's then very different when you're trying to get Bath Duplessis out it's a bit different to trying to get out you know a, yeah. another number yeah. three from another county team respectfully yeah. uh, so I think that was probably be my assessment of the men but I think the women Look, that was even shorter tournament, obviously, because of Commie Games. So even more important to get a good start. And they lost two very close, two two games in particular, I remember being very close. Again, that was a team that I think was picked by Matthew Mott, but then obviously not ended up being yeah. managed by Matthew Mott because he obviously took the job with the ECB. Um, look, I, look, on paper, I think they were as good as yeah. most other teams. Yeah, I think so too. Um And I think they will, I think they will continue to improve. Like I say, I, I absolutely believe in Tammy. I had a WhatsApp conversation with her at the end of the season. I was like, I really do hope you're going to come back. She's like, of course, you know, I'm here for the long run. I'm building something. So, look, I'm not going to say we're going to win it, but I might stick my neck out and say the women might make finals day next year. Well, let's hope so, because because uh, I, I, I think it would be great. Um, yeah, the, the 100 is definitely... Uh, parachuted the the women's game you know uh, very much into the center of the media's eye um, and therefore for younger players or or even not even players but uh, spectators for the first time it's been inspirational uh, yeah. for the women's game so Absolutely. so hopefully that you know if the welsh fire can have um, a, a slightly better uh, season next year c- compared to this that will again continue to help you in your capacity and your team's um, roles and responsibilities to grow uh, the game across Wales for the girls and, and for, for young women um, Absolutely and, and just on that point actually again we sort of alluded to I alluded to it before about the, the national identity mm. you know it, it cannot be underestimated here um, you know we Hugh Morris, quite rightly, in my view, was very keen that it was the Welsh fight. You know, it's not the southwestern mm. Wales fight. It's the Welsh fight. It was a mm. Welsh identity. And the fact that we had no Welsh players or even a Glamorgan player, like I know Hoag's obviously then got picked up and went to Southern Brave. You know, even just having a level of Welshness, because I class Hoag's as an honorary Welshman, um, I think that would have at least helped because I think, you know, the Welsh public will accept a team that doesn't do very well. But if it's sort of with a Welsh banner and it's not very good and there's no Welsh players in it, you know, it is so important that we, you know, keep that momentum and we're yeah. building that brand. Yeah. And then no, you can't just pick a player because he's Welsh. You know, can't have positive discrimination. No. But there was, there was, I think there was enough players who might have got a shot and I think that would be really helpful. Just, you know, say it is a bit of a PR move, but... Look, yeah. there was plenty of players who were picked and even didn't even get a game. So I just think to have that, I think, would be really important because there's a lot of other good Welsh stuff going on around it. The Welsh language use in the stadium, you know, some of the players were learning Welsh. But I think, yeah, the men's team, even if we'd had just one, I think that would have been helpful. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing for next year. I think you're, you're understating it probably for diplomatic reasons, but I think, <laughs> it's, I think that will be a massive step forward. And I think probably that's what... 
knowing Gary as I do, he would have wanted that to be uh, part of the identity of the of the culture and and the team as a whole. Uh, so let's see what happens. Let's, well, let's watch this space. Fast forward a year and then see what happens. Indeed, hopefully. Um, so, so what what does the future look like uh, for you then, Leisha? In terms of um, you know business, um, leadership, sports, all 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 this stuff, as well as you know running. You know, so so what does the, what does the future look like? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so running, look, I'm currently uh, considering retirement from half marathon running. I did Cardiff half on Sunday. Got in under two hours and did take the Cricket Wales personal best crown from a man who's about 12 years younger than me. And well been better, so super fit. So, yeah, so I just, just wanted to get that one in for posterity. Um, <laughs> but currently stiff as a board and going for a massage in an hour. I had a massage on Monday. She made me cry <laughs> and I booked in for another hour. So, yeah, considering my options on the running front, um, but I said I've been in the game for 10 years and I guess this is a point where you almost reflect a little bit I'm like, right, well, what am I going to do with the next 10? And I don't know, because like I said, even 10 years ago when I walked through the doors of the ECB, I didn't have a clue that I'd end up here in this kind of time frame. And I, look, I, I still don't know. I, look, I have ambitions clearly to, to climb higher. Um, I, I guess my, I say my natural natural, I don't know if it is natural. I would love to be considered as a CEO of a first-class county. Um, I've seen, I sit around the boardroom now of, of Glamorgan. Um, so, look, it's probably a very, very different and very difficult job. And actually, there's a lot of stuff that isn't cricket. You know, when you're talking about first-class counties, it's, you know, conference and events and it's madness tribute acts. And, it you know, it's sort of running a, a, a stadium and a venue as well as obviously a professional sports team. But, um, you know, would love to be considered for that in the future. Um but good news, it just knows when that might come up and when I might be seen as kind of a credible candidate for that. Um, just want to keep learning. Um, you know, it's I, I always encourage my teams to kind of take a step back and think about CPD, and I'm terrible at it myself. Um, so when I do get opportunities, just go to conferences and just hear how other people are dealing with things, you know, from outside of sport or from other sports. Um, I think that's really important. Stay healthy, stay happy. I think, you know, again, the last two and a half years, I think, has kind of made everyone stop and think and just kind of think about, is this how I really want to live my life? And, um, you know, having had certain things taken away from us, I think we now value, I certainly value, you know, I get hard from other people, as you can probably tell, you know, I certainly value and I take every opportunity that I can to go and see people, go to dinners and, um, you know, just kind of reconnect on a human level uh, so just kind of continue to do that and stay, 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 stay happy, stay as sane as I can, really. Well, what what a brilliant uh, way to kind of um, sort of sign off uh, on this on this brilliant conversation. I think uh, there's so so much you've packed in there, and what what a wonderful um, speaker you you are, just in a very na- natural, authentic way. Um, I've, I've I've ringed a, 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 and circled a few phrases that I really think are superb. So high performing human. And I would, I would, I've not heard that before, but I think it's a, it's a brilliant, uh, a brilliant phrase. And, you know, I think you represent that um, yourself in, in so many ways. Um, you, you also said here for a good time and not a long time in relation to your batting. I think that's something that everyone who uh, experiences that needs to uh, take a leaf out of, um, you know, women get things done you said in a very quick understated way but so right and that, that uh, those numbers that we exchanged regarding um the percentage of, of female leaders within the game uh, compared to say 
you know, how that's grown within the business sector as a whole is work to be done. Um, you've not we've not used the phrase, but that kind of give it a go attitude and what I would then allude to being a growth mindset, you definitely embody 110 percent. Um, so so, yeah, there's there's so much in there. And uh, and, I, and I, you know, I'm sure whatever you do next, um, however you get involved, it will be with all those things that you attributed to others, uh, but also packed into your own personality and, and leadership um, sort of. Uh, competence range of which there are many things so it's been an absolute thrill to to listen to you for such a short period of time but you know can't wait for another opportunity and thank you very much well thank you and they always say you know in meetings it's the chair that brings it all together so an interviewee is only as good as the interviewer so (laughs) thank you for guiding me through it and thank you for your kind words yeah it's a pleasure thanks for listening everybody as a reminder each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.